At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Amen, amen. If we've not had the opportunity to meet, my name is Kurt McDonald. Uh, I serve with a team of pastors uh, here at the church, and this morning it is my great privilege to bring to you God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he add his blessing to it. Um, It's been a few weeks now uh, since we have been studying uh, the Gospel of Luke. If you're new to us, uh, we preach through books of the Bible. We go right through uh, chapter by chapter, line by line, verse by verse. Uh, And We've taken two weeks off. One week was for Christmas. Uh, Last week, we did our State of the Church address. Uh, If you missed either of those there online, you can go and look at those. This week, we're entering back into this text. We're entering back into the passion narrative. We're entering back into the most intense moments of the life of Jesus Christ. And so before we dive into our text this morning, we need to reorient ourselves and remember what it is that we've seen. We we saw Jesus in the garden. We saw him sweating great drops of blood as he prayed and as he submitted himself to the will of the Father, saying to God, not my will, but yours be done, submitting himself to go to the cross and to die for us in our place for our sins. At at that very time, then, there was a a group of people that came with torches and clubs to arrest him, and in that time, Jesus was arrested, and he was carried to the the high priest's house, and, and there Jesus stood in the courtyard of the high priest to where his closest friend, his disciple Peter, denied him three times. After this denial, then the interrogation, this, by the way, illegal interrogation, which happened at night when interrogations were not supposed to happen, but yet there Jesus was standing in this courtyard being interrogated by by the high priest and, and by all of these religious leaders. And under this interrogation, this illegal interrogation, not only um, did they do that, but they began to say to him, prophesy who will hit you next. And they covered his face and they beat him and they spit upon him. As we enter into our text today, we're going to see that this illegal interrogation, which happened at night, now many hours have passed as Jesus has endured uh, this line of questioning, as Jesus has endured this repeated beating, as Jesus has gone through all of this. Now the sun is coming up on on this illegal interrogation, and the Jewish leaders and the Jewish council will now seek to make this illegal thing that they were doing, they're going to seek to make it legitimate. That's what we're going to see in our text today. The Sanhedrin and Jewish officials are going to take Jesus and they're going to march him down in front of the most powerful man at that time in all of Palestine, that is the prefect or the governor, and his name is Pilate. And the reason that they want to take Jesus before this man is because they themselves do not have the power to give him capital punishment. They don't have the power to issue a sentence of death on their own, and so they must take him before Pilate so that Pilate can issue the sentence of death. But here is the problem, church family. It does not immediately go according to their evil plan. If you would, before we even really, really dive in today, just let your eyes skip down to verse 4. Are y'all with me this morning? Let your eyes skip down to verse 4. It says this, then Pilate said to the chief priests and of the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. 
Pilate declares that this man is totally innocent. Or just let your eyes skip over to verse 14. And he said to them, you've brought me this man, one who is misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I do not find this man guilty of any of the charges against him. Verse four, verse 14. Now let your eyes skip over to verse 22. Verse 22 says this. A third time he said to them, why, what evil has he done? I find in him no guilt deserving death. They're seeking the death penalty for Jesus. They want him out of their way. He's caused too much ruckus. They're they're tired of his sermons. They're tired of all of his good deeds. The people are loving Jesus and not loving them. They want him dead. They want him gone. They bring him before Pilate. And three times in a row, Pilate says, this man is not guilty. This man is not guilty. This man is not guilty. And so church family, as serious Bible students, we need to recognize when we see patterns like this in the Bible, as we're told, (laughs) Luke is bringing this out for us. Luke is showing us this pattern. Luke is showing us this thrust. He's showing us this emphasis in the text to where Pilate is repeatedly saying, as a matter of fact, we're going to see him go to Herod, and Herod finds nothing worthy of death, sends him back to Pilate. Pilate still finds nothing worthy of death, and they declare, this man is innocent, this man is innocent, this man is innocent. So the question is, why is Luke emphasizing this for us? Why is Luke? All Luke had to do was say, Pilate didn't find any guilt in him, but he killed him anyway. Moving on, chapter 24. But that's not what he does. He emphasizes this again and again and again. What is the Bible teaching us today? Church family, can I tell you, the Bible has something to teach you today. Amen? And here it is. Let me just go ahead and give you the whole sermon. Is is it too early to give you the whole sermon? Here it is. Write this down. The innocent, the innocent has been condemned so the guilty could be set free. The innocent has been condemned. Don't you see? That's the emphasis of why Luke is repeating this for us. He's saying, Jesus is innocent. Jesus is innocent. Jesus is innocent. He shows us that. And in the very end of our text today, there is a man named Barabbas who is definitely guilty. And yet Barabbas is set free. The innocent man, Jesus Christ, is condemned. And yet the guilty is set free. And so what I want us to see is the innocent has been condemned. Though Jesus was innocent, he was absolutely, Jesus never committed a crime. How about this? Ever. Never, not once. He, He never committed a crime against Rome. He never committed a crime against Israel. He committed zero crimes, zero times. No crimes at all. Now, even beyond beyond that, Jesus not only did not commit any crimes, watch this, Jesus never committed any sins ever. Jesus never had um, a sinful thought, a sinful inappropriate thought towards a woman ever in his life. Jesus never told a lie. Jesus always obeyed the law of God with a heart that wanted to please God. Jesus never stole anything. He never got angry at someone in in an unrighteous way. He was totally pure and perfect and innocent, yet he is condemned. Don't you see? And so why is a man like this condemned? He is condemned so that the guilty could be set free. Just let your eyes jump to verse 25. Verse 25 says this, he released the man who had been thrown in prison for insurrection and murder, for they asked, but deliver Jesus over to their will. The, The guilty man goes free while the innocent man is absolutely condemned. This is what we're going to see in our text today. What we're going to see, even look, 
y'all aren't excited about this. I am. Watch this. Even before Jesus goes to the cross, even before Jesus goes to the cross, we see the picture of what is known as substitutionary atonement. This is the most important theological term that you could ever learn. If, if you don't ever learn any theological terms ever, that's fine. You need to know what substitutionary atonement is and what it means. And it's so simple. It's a big, fancy theological term. You can impress your friends. You're welcome. Substitutionary atonement means this. Jesus in our place. Substitutionary atonement means Jesus in our place. And so as we watch Jesus in this text today being condemned, he's condemned, he's convicted to death, he's sentenced to death. And what happens is instead of Barabbas going to his rightful death, the punishment that Barabbas should have received, Jesus goes in his place. That's substitutionary atonement. And so even before his death on the cross, we see this picture of substitutionary atonement, and that's what we're going to discover in our text today. The very sins of Barabbas, church family, listen to me. We, we need to see ourselves not as Jesus. Am I saying that you have never been convicted of something or accused of something that you didn't do? No, that's not what I'm saying. But the point of this text is not for us to identify with Jesus. The point of this text is for us to see that we are Barabbas. The point of this text today is for us to see that we are the insurrectionists. We are the ones who have had seditious thoughts and seditious feelings, meaning we are the ones that, that have wanted to remove God, the, the true king, from his throne and place ourselves on that throne, believing that we can rule and run and reign in our own world and our own lives. When, when the reality is he is king and everything that we are and all that we have truly and completely belong to him. We're the insurrectionists. We're the rebels in God's kingdom. And yet he goes in our place for our sins. If you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus has come to set you free. Jesus has come to set you free. Barabbas, the murderer, the insurrectionist, the rebel, he's set free, he's set free, though he deserves death in the same way you deserve death. Yet Jesus has come to set you free. And so church family, our hearts might cry, oh Jesus, set me free from this dead end job. Help me today. Our hearts might cry, oh, set me free from this empty bank account. Our hearts might want freedom from difficult relationships or the stress of daily life, but that is so small in comparison to the freedom that Jesus truly offers. Jesus is offering true freedom from sin. Don't you see that the sin that you feel ensnared by, that sin of addiction, that sin of bitterness, that sin of anxiety that's just overwhelming you and you're not trusting the Lord, that sin that you feel like is absolutely crushing you and you'll never get away from it, Jesus has come to set you free from that sin. Yeah. And he's come to set you free not only from sin, but to set you free from death. What do I mean? I mean spiritual death. I mean the death that comes for us all. But when we accept his innocent sacrifice, when we place our faith in his innocent sacrifice, that spiritual death that should come to us, it doesn't come to us. What comes to us is spiritual life forever with God in the kingdom of God. Amen? Okay, okay. That, I'm done preaching at this point, y'all. That, that's, that's the whole sermon. What I need to do now is I need to get us into the text I need to lead us through this text. It's a lot of verses. I'm going to go fast. And so you need to stay with me. Keep your Bibles open. We've got to move quickly through this text. First, we're going to see, first, we're going to see the council on trial before Jesus. 
It looks like Jesus is on trial. He's not. <laughs> We're going to see the council on trial before Jesus in chapter 22, verses 61 through, through uh, 71, 66 through 71. Second, we're going to see this Pilate on trial before Jesus. We'll move into chapter three, Lord willing. Can y'all believe we're in chapter three? I mean, chapter 23. We've got one more chapter left. We've, we've been studying this book for over a year. Third, we're going to see this Herod on trial before Jesus in verses eight through 12. And then lastly, fourth, we're going to see the innocent condemned and the guilty set free in verses 13 through 25. Again, please keep this text in front of you as, as we just move our way through it. First, we're going to see the council on trial uh, before Jesus. This council here is the Sanhedrin. Um, that is what, what we're going to see. This council is the most religious people um, out of the Sadducees, the, the most religious out of the Pharisees, and they're joined together in what is known as the Sanhedrin, the highest council in the land under Rome, of course. And Jesus is on trial in front of them. And so it looks like Jesus is on trial, but make no mistake, it is not Jesus who is on trial. It is them who are on trial. So, so any, any attempt to put Jesus on trial only shows that you are the one that is guilty. Now, verse 66, when day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, again, that's the Sanhedrin, and they led him away to their council, and they said to him, if you are the Christ, tell us what they want him to say, what they want to convict him of, is not his miracles which blessed and helped people. They're not seeking to throw him under the bus because he fed the 5,000. They're not seeking to pin Jesus to the wall because he has forgiven sins of a widow or because he has raised the dead. They want to convict him of saying that he's the Christ. Now, why is that? Well, because the Christ is the Greek term for the Hebrew word, what? You guys know it, Messiah. Messiah, why? Is it because the Old Testament has all these great promises? Well, it's specifically because the Messiah carries not only religious connotation, but it carries what? Political connotation. And if they can get Jesus to be convicted of political malfeasance, then he will be convicted in front of Pilate and they can have him killed. That's why they're pressing him to make sure that he will confess that he is the Christ or the Messiah. Look at verses 67 and 68 again. Tell us if you are the Christ. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe, verse 68. And if I ask you, you will not answer. Question, church family, has Jesus already told them that he's the Messiah? Yes. <laughs> Has he already shown them that he's the Messiah? Has he proven it to them through his miracles, through his stories, through his parables, through everything that he's done? Jesus has repeatedly and constantly put on display, he's the Messiah. Now, he's not necessarily the Messiah that they're looking for. They want a Messiah who's going to come in and overthrow Rome, but he is the Messiah who has come to set them free. 
free from sin and free from death. So he has repeatedly shown them that he is the Messiah, yet they still do not want to believe. Now, if there's any confusion in this scene here, again, because the casual observer of this whole thing would say, well, Jesus is the one on trial before the Sanhedrin. But if there's any confusion about that, verse 69 will set us straight on who is actually on trial. Look at what Jesus says to them. But from now on, (laughs) I wish I had time just to preach on that phrase right there. What Jesus is saying is, I'm about to go to the cross at the die, but that's not going to be the end. I'm going to resurrect from the grave and I'm going to be seated at the right hand of the father. And from that point on is what Jesus is saying. Verse 69, but from now on, the son of man shall be seated at the right hand of power. He begins by giving himself his most favorite designation for himself, namely the son of man. Pulled from Daniel chapter seven. Are y'all with me this morning? Pulled from Daniel chapter seven, where it says that the son of man will be seated by the ancient of days, God the father, and that all the nations will bow before him and he will give an be given power and authority and dominion over all forever. Amen. That's the son of man. So it is this divine figure that is seated at the right hand of God. That is the son of man. And Jesus calls himself that attributing to himself full divinity. Then he says, he's going to be seated, seated that, that position of rest, that position of authority. Church family, when you go into a court of law and the judge issues a sentence, who is sitting down? The judge is sitting down and everyone else is standing up because the judge has that position of power and authority. And so Jesus says, I'm the son of man, divine. I'm gonna be seated in a place of power and authority, which is why he says he will be at the right hand of power. So Jesus is not on trial before these men. These men are on trial before Jesus. Now, does what Jesus just said sink in on them and do they change their tune Look at verse 70. (laughs) So they all said, are you the son of God then? He just said that. I mean, what's wrong with their ears? He just said he is the son of man. He just attributed divine attributes to himself. And yet they're asking again, are you the son of God then? Meaning They're asking him, are you the divine son? Are you better than us? Do you have some sort of special relationship with God the Father that we don't have is is what they're asking. And so Jesus clearly answers in the affirmative. Look at it very closely. This is so important. So they all said, are you the son of God then? And he said to them, you say that I am. Now, This is so important. Many critics of Jesus and many critical scholars will say that here Jesus is sidestepping the actual answer, that that they're asking, are you the unique divine son of God? And Jesus says, ah, no, that's what you guys are saying. I'm not saying that. Now, why is it correct? Again, this, this is absolutely incorrect. The reason that that interpretation is absolutely incorrect, again, this this is what critics have to say about this text. The reason that interpretation is wrong is because of what Jesus just got done saying. He just called himself the son of man. He just attributed deity to himself. The other reason that interpretation is incorrect is because of how they respond. Do you see how they respond? Look at verse 71. Then they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. 
Meaning they ask him, are you the son of God? And Jesus says, you have said so. Meaning you nailed it. You hit the nail on the head. Yes, Jesus here answers in the affirmative. This is a total sidebar. It has nothing to do with the main point, but I'm gonna say it anyway. I hope you'll allow me to do this. Write this down. Jesus welcomes sincere questions. Everywhere that we've seen in the New Testament where someone will come to Jesus with a sincere question, he always answers them. He always gives them time. He always stops. He always pauses. No matter where he's going or what he's doing, Jesus always welcomes sincere questions. But if you put him on trial, you will end up condemned. I, I want to say this from the, from the depths of my heart to, the, to any skeptic in the room this morning, anyone who is not a believer, anyone who says, I think all of this is total hogwash and whatever, it's made up myths and stories, and you come to Jesus putting him on trial in order to prove him wrong, I, I beg you, please do not do that. Do, listen to the testimony of what's happening here. If you come to Jesus with sincere questions, he will take time for you. He will answer you. He'll answer you through his word. He'll answer you through godly people. He'll answer you through pastors like me. He'll answer you through, through godly people that he has placed in your life. But if you come to Jesus and try to put him on trial, you will end up condemned. Okay, we've got to move. Second, we're going to see Pilate, Pilate on trial. Now, now here is, we're moving into chapter 23 now. Here is the most powerful man in all of Palestine. They want to get Jesus in front of this man again because they themselves, the Jewish council, does not have the power uh, to, to issue capital punishment. They, they cannot give the death sentence. So Pilate has to sign off on this. So they want to bring him before Pilate. Look at verse 1 in chapter 23. The whole company of them arose was, and brought him before Pilate. Again, Pilate was the Roman governor. Uh, Pilate ruled from 26 to 36 AD. Um, many extra biblical sources actually talk about Pilate, so we know that he is a, um, a real historical figure. Um, historians like Philo and Josephus both uh, talk about this man, Pilate. Uh, his title is prefect, so he is in charge of matters in Palestine. In, in Palestine, in addition, Pilate oversees all legal matters in Palestine. In addition, uh, he is in charge of all the financial uh, issues going on in that area. A very, very powerful man. Now, watch this threefold accusation. Look in verse two. And they began to accuse him, saying, we found this man misleading our nation. That's one. Forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, that's two, and saying that he himself is Christ the King. Now, uh, when they say the, the first accusation, okay, misleading our nation, what they're referring to, they're, they're saying that Jesus is, is trying to lead an insurrection against Rome. True or false? False. <laughs> Jesus has done nothing of the sort. Uh, Jesus has not tried to lead an insurrection against physical kingdom. Uh, he insisted that his kingdom is a spiritual kingdom uh, and not a physical kingdom. Uh, he, he, he says uh, the physical kingdom comes later at his second coming, but this go round, um, he, he, he is promoting a spiritual kingdom. Now, the next one, he, he, Jesus is saying we should not pay tribute to Caesar. True or false? False. Jesus has clearly said render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and render unto God what is God's. Okay, so second claim against him, false. Third, he has claimed to be Christ the king. Is that claim true or false? Oh, a little sticky, little sticky here. So, so they're getting really crafty on this last one because the last one is yes and no. 
No, in the sense that Jesus has not claimed to be a political king coming to rule, literally have a political rule over all of Jerusalem, but he has claimed to be the king of everyone's soul, the the, the king uh, who has come to set them free. So it is yes and no. Look at verse three. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? I wish I had time to take this side road, which basically would say that the the sign that ends up on Jesus's cross is king of the Jews, uh, but we don't have time to go down that road. Uh, Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Here's Here's that answer again, watch it. And he answered them, you have said so. You, you have said so. Again, we need to understand that Jesus here is answering in the affirmative. He's not sidestepping it and saying, oh, well, Pilate, that's what you're saying. I'm not saying that. No, he's affirming. Now, he, the reason that he's answering this way is because, yes, he is the king. Jesus is king overall forever. Amen. But he's not trying to be a political king. So he answers Pilate here in the affirmative. He doesn't tease out all of the intricacies of what type of king he is, not a political king at this time, but a spiritual king. He just leaves it in the affirmative and moves on. Look at verse four. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and to the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. (laughs) Don't you see what's happening here? The, the, The Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, have drugged Jesus into this public court They've presented Jesus. Here is a violent criminal. He is leading an insurrection against the the nation of of Rome. He he wants to tear the whole system down. Just look at him. He's telling us not to pay. He's an evil guy. And there stands Jesus. Humble, meek, mild. The the one who welcomed children to come to him. The the one who said that he was a gentle shepherd. The, The one who healed the sick and the blind. Right, Pilate? Pilate sees through this. He sees through it, absolutely. And so he's looking at this man and saying, no, no, he's not guilty. There stands Jesus in his innocence, and his innocence is obvious. And thus, Pilate declares in verse 4 that Jesus is absolutely innocent. If you're taking notes, this is so important for you to know. The tragedy, the tragedy, and the beauty of the cross is the innocence of Jesus. The tragedy As we we look to the cross, there should be a sense of sorrow in our hearts. Every Sunday by Sunday by Sunday, as we come to the communion table and we take that piece of bread, it's a representation of Jesus' body that has been broken, that's been broken. The the blood, the the wine that's been spilled, that's been poured out. There should be a sense of sorrow and tragedy. Why? Because he was innocent. But there's also a sense of beauty. The beauty is that even though he was innocent, he sacrifices himself for you and for me because of the deep love of the Father, the love of the Father being poured out through the blood and the body of the Son onto his people for you because he loves you, because his desire, look at this church family, his desire is for you to be set free. That's what we're seeing here in our text. Verse five, but they urge, but they were urgent saying, He stirs up the people, teaching all throughout Judea. Circle that, keep that in mind. Teaching all throughout Judea, from Galilee, circle Galilee, even to this place. Okay, Pilate wants no part of this. Pilate's not into this thing at all. He sees that that 
Jesus is winning the popularity contest with the people and the religious leaders don't like that. Therefore, they're trying to kill him. Pilate sees through this whole thing. He doesn't want any part. The moment that they say his teaching is going all throughout Judea and Galilee, Galilee, that region up to the north, a light bulb comes on for Pilate. And Pilate sees a way that he can do what all politicians love to do, pass the buck. Look at verse six. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether this man was a Galilean. Oh, he's a Galilean. In his mind, I happen to know a guy who's in town, Herod, and he's actually over that region of Galilee, so I can pass the buck. Therefore, if anything goes wrong with this whole Jesus mess and there's a riot with the people, Pilate wants plausible deniability. So he's gonna seek to pass him on. Look at verse seven. And when he had learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at the time. He's in in town because of the Passover. Look at verse, um, moving on to the verse eight. Now, what we're gonna see is Herod on trial before Jesus. I wish we had time to do a big deep dive on Herod. We don't, needless to say, uh, Herod is the puppet king, the puppet Jewish king who's been put in place by Rome. This is the man who beheaded John the Baptist. John the Baptist called Herod out because uh, he was sleeping with his brother's wife. But that's this guy. When Her- I'm in verse eight, Are y'all still with me? I told you I'm going fast. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad For he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him that he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at length, but he made no answer. Herod is there. Uh, We know Herod likes a drink. (laughs) We we know that um, Herod is there celebrating the Passover, most likely having, uh, you know, three, four, 13 uh, glasses of that Passover wine um, and a little entertainment would be nice at this point in the Passover celebration for Herod. And here comes Jesus. Maybe you'll do a trick, right? Maybe the water into wine thing. We could, we, we could use a few more glasses, Herod might think. Or, or, or maybe he'll make something appear or disappear, or who knows? It, it's gonna be fun either way in Herod's mind. And here comes Jesus. Herod is peppering him with questions. Again, if we had time, we would go back and look at the other accounts. Um, Luke is shortening this for us. But what we see is that Jesus makes no answer at all. Jesus does not work miracles for amusement. Amen. He he will not do that. If you are coming to Jesus to be entertained, church family, you will be disappointed. But if you come to him to be saved and to serve him, you will find freedom. Make no mistake, church family, Jesus' silence during this portion of his trial is not out of weakness, but it is out of strength. At any moment, Jesus could have said a single word and 10,000 legions of warrior angels would have descended and slaughtered Herod and his whole group. It, It wouldn't have mattered, but Jesus remains silent because he is submitting himself to the will of the Father. He is innocent, yet he is being condemned so that we could be set free. Look at verse 10. The chief priests and scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him, verse 11, and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. They arraying him in splendid clothing and sent him back to Pilate. Herod wanted a show, but Jesus refused to play his game, so Herod made Jesus the show. He, he mocked him and beat him, and they, they put a robe on him and of their jokes. You just spit on him and beat him and made him the butt of their jokes. 
Now, the Jews, <laughs> the, the Jewish leaders here, they don't get what they want because Herod didn't condemn him to death. Pilate doesn't get what he wants because he was trying to pass the buck. And now it's going back. It's going back to Pilate. Verse 12 is so interesting. I don't have a lot of time to talk about it, but I'll talk about it for a second. Look at verse 12. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this, they had been at enmity with one another. It's easy to understand why they were at enmity with one another. Pilate, the one with true power in Palestine, um, and Herod is kind of the puppet king with no real power, yet you know, he, he has to be subservient to Pilate even though he's supposed to be the It's easy to see why they weren't friends. But what makes them friends here? Well, because they have a common enemy. Listen, the common enemy isn't Jesus. Jesus is not the common enemy. The common enemy is the Jewish leaders, the religious Jewish leaders. Again, Herod is the Jewish king, but he's not very religious. He, he's the let's have lots of wine parties. Uh, I'm going to steal my brother's wife and everybody's just going to have to be okay with it. That's him. He's not very religious. So he doesn't like these religious guys poking around, nor does Pilate like these religious guys because they're trying to get Pilate to play their religious game. So the common enemy is the religious leaders, and that's what binds Pilate and Herod over this. Okay, fourth. Fourth, our last section here. Fourth point in our outline, the innocent condemned and the guilty set free. Verse 13, are y'all still with me? Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people. So he's been sent back. Again, I want you to see the state of Jesus at this point. He's, they've kept him up all night interrogating him. He's, he's undergone several beatings. His face is bloodied. His lips are split. His, his eyes are swollen. Maybe one is even swollen all the way shut. They've thrown a, a purple robe on him. They've given him a, a staff to make it look like a scepter, yet he's, he's barely remaining standing because he's been beaten so badly. He, he's now pulled out in front of the public court. And, and verse 13 there makes it clear that Pilate has gathered. He, he, Pilate's like, okay, I'm done with this whole charade. Get, get the Sanhedrin here. Get the chief priest. I want everybody present because he's about to make his official pronouncement before the court, before the people, before the whole world. Here is Pilate's official announcement. Verse 14, and he said to them, here's his official proclamation. You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod. It's been backed up by your king, is what Pilate is saying. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, let me pause right here. No truer words have ever been spoken. From, from this Roman pagan who doesn't believe in God, who doesn't believe in Jesus. But look at what he says. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Let that sink into your hearts this morning, church family. Let that sink deep into your souls that nothing deserving death had ever been done by Jesus. Yet Jesus goes and dies in your place for your sins. He was totally innocent. 
never having committed a crime, never having committed a sin, never having gone against the will of the Father, obeying perfectly everything that God demanded of him, not only obeying it perfectly, not only adhering to every single letter of the law, he also did it with a heart that wanted to please God the Father. He was totally innocent. He was totally innocent. The innocent has been condemned so that the guilty could be set free. Verse 16, he says this, I will therefore punish and release him. This seems strange to us. If he's innocent, why are we punishing him? Okay, so first, most commentators believe that this punishment is gonna be a light beating, not the full scourging which he's going to receive, but Pilate is proposing a light beating just, just to just to give the crowd something, just to give the Sanhedrin something. We're gonna beat him a little bit. He's already been beaten, but we're gonna beat him a little bit more and we're gonna release him. This is to please the crowd. He's trying to give them something. I'm gonna come your way a little bit and I need you guys to come my way a little bit is what Pilate is saying. I will therefore punish and release him. Look at verse 18. But they all cried out together, away with this man. This is so shocking and release to us Barabbas. Who's Barabbas? This name kind of comes out of nowhere. Well, the name comes out of nowhere, but then verse 19 explains exactly who this man Barabbas is. Look at it. A man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection started in the city and for murder. You, you need to, Roman occupying our, the political tension that's happening in first century Palestine as the Roman occupying army is there in Jerusalem. They don't want the Roman occupying army there. They want them out. And so there were actually several different skirmishes that came up uh, in the first century to where the Jewish people tried to rebel and get Rome out. Again, if, if you're a historian in the room, you know that in 70 AD, there was a massive Jewish revolt. The Roman army comes in and destroys all of Jerusalem and tears the temple down to its very foundations in 70 AD. That's coming, but this is just one of those little skirmishes leading up, and it was led by this man, Barabbas. Verse 20, Pilate addressed them once more desiring to release Jesus. Do you, do you see how Luke is laboring this point for us? He's reminding us again and again and again, Jesus is innocent. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. A third time he said, why? What evil has he done? I have found in him urgent, no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him but they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. There's Pilate. He, he has to save face here. One, he can't have a riot on his hands. If he has a riot on his hands, it makes Pilate look really bad. Plus, riots are very expensive. He doesn't want any of that. And so, instead of standing his ground, he gives in to the crowd. Look at this. So, Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they ask, but delivered Jesus over to their will. 
Here's what we see in our text today, church family. Jesus is the innocent one, the one without any guilt, and yet he is the one that is put to death. Barabbas, on the other hand, is obviously guilty of insurrection and murder, and he deserves to die, yet he is set free. The end of this text says that he was delivered over to their will. Did you see that at the end of the text? Yet we know what's happening behind the scenes is that ultimately this is the will of the Father. This is God, the sovereign God of the universe, using the evil intentions of men and of courts and of governments for his sovereign good plan and pleasure. And can I tell you, God's still doing that today that evil men and evil governments will come against the church and come against the righteous and, and, and try to push us aside and say that we don't matter, to, to say that what we're doing here, building the kingdom of God, is inconsequential or is even possibly even evil because we're speaking against the lifestyles of some of those out there. But can I tell you, Jesus is still at work. The sovereign God of the universe is still using the evil intentions of people, the evil intentions of government, the evil intentions of the media is still using that for his good and for his glory and for our ultimate joy. God's still at work. God is still at work. And so in our text today, we see a picture of what is going to happen on the cross before the death of Jesus takes place. Write it down again, church family. It'll be good for your soul and will not be harmful for you if you write this down. The innocent family then is on so that the guilty could be set free. True freedom, church family, then, is on display, is being extended to us in this text this morning. If you're wondering what all of this court case is about, and what is that guy on stage with a black jacket, he's been yelling for an hour, what, what in the world is going on? Here's what's going on. What's being extended to you today from this text is true freedom from Christ. True freedom, true freedom. And so I'm not talking about freedom from a dead-end job or freedom from obscurity or freedom from an unimpressive physical appearance or freedom from an empty bank account or freedom from the anxieties of life. You might get those things, but Jesus has on offer so much more. What Jesus has on offer is freedom from sin and freedom from death. I wish I had time to keep on preaching. Here it is. Roman, it's not gonna come up on the screen. I'm just gonna read it for you. Romans chapter eight. Are y'all with me? Romans chapter Chapter 8, verse 2, it says this, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. There was a law of sin that had you held captive. The law of sin said you are not powerful enough to overcome your addiction. You are not powerful enough to overcome your anxieties. You are not powerful enough to defeat this sin, which has been carrying you and on your back, you've been carrying it. It's had its claws dug deep into you and you were powerless to defeat that sin and to get it rid of it, to get it out of your life, you were powerless. Yet because of the power of Jesus on the cross, you have now been set free from that sin. You might say, well, Pastor Kirk, I don't feel like I'm set free from that sin. You might not feel like you're set free from that sin, but Jesus has given you the power to be set free from that sin. You've been set free, amen? You've been declared free of the penalty of that sin, the penalty of that sin then being spiritual death. You've been set free from that death. And so, church family, write this down. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Write this down. Here's what we need to do this morning. <laughs> we need to confess. We need to confess that the small earthly freedoms that we so often desire are not worth comparing to the eternal freedom already given us in Jesus Christ. Those little small earthly that we're looking for that, 
you know what? I just, I've been constrained and just in bondage to my, my three bedroom, two bath house. You know, I'm just, I'm in bondage to it. I would really love it if we had a bigger house. We just need more. Come on, y'all. Help, listen, listen. I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't want you to have a bigger house. What I'm saying is the freedom that we already have is so much more beautiful and so much more glorious and so much more joy-giving, life-giving, purpose-driven, beautiful freedom. We already have it. We already have it. We already have it. And so, so this has to do with the affections and the attitude of your heart this morning. When you go to him to, to ask for these smaller earthly freedoms, I'm not saying don't ask him. As a matter of fact, he says, ask me. But when we do go to him and ask him for these smaller earthly freedoms, is our heart already filled with joy because we have received true freedom because the innocent has been condemned? And so I'll close with this question this morning. I, I wanna know, can you, say, can you say with me this morning, I am Barabbas? Can you say with me this morning, I am Barabbas? Every single person in this room should answer yes. We all should answer yes because we are all rebels in the kingdom of God. We're all insurrectionists. We're all seeking seditious behavior. We're all seeking to dethrone I am Barabbas. Selves there. And so in a way, we all must say, yes, I am Barabbas. But there's a deeper question. Are y'all still with me? The deeper question is this, can we say, yes, I am Barabbas in a God-honoring and God-glorifying way? Oh, y'all are looking at me funny. We, ha- we need to understand what the name Barabbas means. Help me today. Y'all, y- oh, y'all aren't ready. Y'all are looking at me. Y'all don't know what's coming. The name Barabbas, we, we know that in Hebrew, the, the, the beginning prefix there, bar, bar Abbas, bar. What does bar mean? Bar means son of Abbas or Abba means father. Barabbas, the name means innocent has been of the father. And so church family, the innocent, the innocent has been condemned. He was condemned so that we could be called Barabbas, sons and daughters of the father. Praise his name, praise his name, praise his name. Shame, may we be able to say with the hymn writer, Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a savior. Guilty, helpless, lost were we. Blameless lamb of God was he, sacrificed to set us free. Hallelujah, what a savior. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, you were the one that was innocent. And yet you were condemned so that we who are guilty could be set free. I pray that that truth would sink down deep into our hearts today and that there would be a great sense of gratitude that would overwhelm us, that would consume us this morning as we look upon the cross and we see the one who was innocent yet was condemned. And we look upon our own souls and we see the ones who should have been condemned to death, yet we have been given freedom from sin and we have been given freedom from death. Let these spiritual truths sink down deep into our souls this morning and let that erupt from this congregation this morning in response, in worship, in song, in praise, in reflection, in adoration. Do that work among us this morning. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.
at this time each week, we pause to respond to the gospel that has been preached, and it was preached this morning. The, the gospel was explained.
Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.